Welcome to EdTech Speaks, a podcast bringing guests together to share their expertise and advice on navigating business and education in a technology-driven world. From entrepreneurs to vendors, higher education to corporate leaders, we'll uncover their perspective regarding the latest trends and technologies impacting your career or business. Our podcast is made possible by Downing EdTech Consulting, where people and technology connect. Hosted by Cher Downing, an experienced executive spanning a higher education and corporate career with specific focus on the EdTech industry, Dr. Downing is also an international and national presenter, author, and regular media contributor. Now here is your host, EdTech strategist, Dr. Cher Downing. everyone, and welcome to our anniversary edition of the EdTech Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Cher Downing, and over the past two years, we've brought you 30 episodes covering technology, education, and business solutions. Today, I'm excited to welcome back six guests to share updates and talk about what's next in EdTech. So let's get started. Thanks to everyone for showing up today. This is just a small percentage of our uh, previous guests that were with us. We had over 30 in the last two years. And so we're so excited, though, that a few people were able to drop in today and chat with us a little more. So I'm going to go around and introduce individuals and talk to them a little bit about what they did when they came onto our podcast and where they're at now. So Tom Tobin, I'm going to start with you. Hello, Cher. It's a pleasure to be back on the podcast with you and with our other guests here. So my name is Tom Tobin. I'm with the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Mentoring at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I'm an international speaker, author, and consultant on how we use technology when we're mediating educational spaces and interactions. So uh, I was I was on episode nine back in October of 2020. We were talking about the technology that we use in higher education, and we were just into the pandemic. So we talked an awful lot about how we did emergency remote pivoting to technology mediated and technology supported education back in October of 2020. It's gotten a little better since then. The pandemic was actually something that allowed me to be more international in my scope because people weren't paying to bring me on an airplane and a hotel room and meals. I started working with folks in Australia and Ireland and Portugal and Germany. And it was it was fantastic to really dive in on the higher education space in other countries, how they approach it differently than we do here in the United States and Canada. And uh, since October of 2020, I'm also proud to have two books come out since the last time I was on the podcast. One of them is called Going Alt-Ac, and that stands for Alternative Academic Careers. That's career advice. I wrote that one with Katie Linder and Kevin Kelly, and one called Universal Design for Learning for Further Education and Technology Practitioners. Worked with the folks in Ireland on their further education sector. That's the equivalent of the community college folks here in the United States and Canada. And I've got a new job since the last time we talked. As of a couple of days ago, it's been one year that I got to be a founding member of our Teaching, Learning, and Mentoring Center at UW-Madison. So I'm grateful to be back on the show and grateful to learn more about and with our colleagues. Thanks so much, Tom. 
Tom and I have known each other for many, many years and followed each other's careers and been cheerleaders for each other um, and really grew up in the distance education, what is now online learning segment long before uh, it, it became, I guess, the it thing that it is now. Uh, we were back in the trenches when we were just trying to convince people it was a good thing to do. So appreciate you being on here. Uh, Joe, I'm going to turn to you next. Thanks, Chair. So, yeah, I'm Jill Sprangle. I'm an associate professor of business at Mary Baldwin University and founder and uh, principal consultant of a company called Emanuel Strategic Sustainability. My focus is on the work of using humanist commitments to build a more sustainable or regenerative uh, manufacturing operations. When I was initially the guest on the podcast, I was then the dean of the College of Business Professional Studies in Mary Baldwin. And since then, I've uh, stepped down from that in December of last year, and I've been on sabbatical, and sadly, it ends today. So that's, uh, that, you know, being paid to do what you want for six months is a really wonderful thing. During the time frame that I was um, on sabbatical, I've written my book called Humanist Manufacturing, a Humanitarian Approach to Excellence in Plant Operations. And uh, literally in the last day or so of finishing up some edits before I hand it off to be put on to uh, various uh, online um, bookseller sites. And so hopefully that'll uh, be something that'll lead me to, to other opportunities and uh, potential uh, engagements with consulting companies. And primary thing I learned during the pandemic was how resilient our faculty were. Even people that said, there's no way I'm ever doing online. <laughs> Within three or four days, they were actually doing online teaching. And a lot of them found out that, you know, this isn't really as bad as we thought. Others found out that, yeah, we didn't have the greatest technology and we could have done a better job with that. But given scant resources and threats of, you know, impending doom, uh, we didn't spend as much money as we might have otherwise. But, you know, we found that, you know, it, for example, science faculty that said, oh, you can never do a lab online. Well, all of a sudden, they found out a way to do it. So that's primarily what I learned during the pandemic is, you know, broke down a lot of barriers uh, that people said existed that really didn't. And so, you know, that was a wonderful thing in a lot of ways. Thanks, Joe. And it's exciting that your book is just about ready to head out. Um, I know it's been been on the list for quite a while now. So uh, we were first talking about that back on the podcast when you were originally on. It was really more ideas that you just hadn't put to paper yet. So great to see that about it's finally there. Two and a half years of which obviously most of it happened in the last six months. So it's, <laughs> it's like a, you know, a dissertation. I really want this to be done. Nope. <laughs> I'm tired of it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Jennifer, I'm going to have you go next. Excellent. Well, hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Nash. I am an executive coach and management consultant. I was on the podcast with Cher back in October of 2020. So Thomas, we must have been on just around the same time. Um, back then, we were just adapting to COVID and, um, you know, creating this new reality for ourselves that um, impacted the whole world. So I think it's interesting that we've lived through this experience where all of humanity has shared something in common um, and that everyone can relate to it. Um, 
right after the podcast aired, I had an article published on uh, HBR on values. And so you can take a look at that. Just search under my name under personal values. And this fall, I actually have my book coming out, um, which will be revealed shortly, which is super exciting. Um, and so please look for more information on that. You can find that at my LinkedIn page. And if you subscribe to my newsletter, you'll be the first to know about when the book launch reveal will be. Excellent. So, you know, Jennifer was one of the pioneers in figuring out how to do her coaching online. Um, but she has a background in academia, so she's very used to pivoting and, and understanding how to teach differently and having to deal with situations. So um, where oftentimes uh, in talking with coaches, they were struggling during the pandemic because they couldn't meet with people. Uh, Jennifer figured out a way to do it. And so that was really exciting to watch as well. And so looking forward to her book coming out. So appreciate it. Um, Seth, I'm going to move over to you now. All right. So hello, and thanks so much, Cher, for having me back. I'm Seth Raffaeo, an incoming sophomore at Los Lomas High School and the founder and CEO of LinkJoin, a website that helps to organize and automatically open virtual meetings. So you'd take a Zoom link, put it in LinkJoin with the time and some other info, and then the meeting would start on its own at the right time. So it's really helpful for everyone being on time to meetings, but especially for students and teachers who have these really repetitive schedules that are hard to get to. And since the podcast, when I was on with uh, Share before, LinkJoin has really grown. And in just a few days, it'll actually be a Chrome extension. So, Yay! yeah. So as you might notice, I'm the youngest member of this podcast by just a few decades. But <laughs> I've been working to create a great startup, even while keeping up with my schoolwork and my other activities, which I'll admit was a little bit easier during the constant downtime of virtual school. The pandemic really catapulted me into this area. And none of this would have really happened without it, especially because the main reason for LinkJoin's creation was virtual school. So it's been interesting to see how the pandemic has really changed our world in so many ways. Thanks so much for having me back. So appreciate you being here today, Seth. Um, as, as all of you can see, Seth is, is on the trajectory to do great things. Uh, and I was so impressed both in talking with him and his product, um, but also just in understanding that the world just can't be thrown together. You know, we were very reactive during the, the initial pandemic. Everyone was. Uh, and what we quickly learned was reaction only carries you so far. Then you've got to start being proactive. How do we approach things differently? How do we do things better? And so he stepped forward and did that. And I'm so excited to hear it's going to be an extension. Can't wait to see what you do next. So very exciting. Um, Tammy, I'm going to have you come on next here. Well, thank you, Cher. Thank you for having me back. And um, I I joined you on the podcast in August of 2020, episode five. I feel like a pioneer. She <laughs> brought, brought my covered wagon. Um, and a lot has happened since then. Um, I just uh, recorded episode 185 of my weekly podcast, Work from the Inside Out. And lo and behold, I have a book called Work from the Inside Out, which I published this past January, Work from the Inside Out, Breakthrough Nine Common Obstacles, and Design a Career that Fulfills You. And, you know, even though the pandemic has been really, really tough 
on a lot of people, and that's an understatement. I used the time, the quiet time, the lockdown time to write a book. And I had actually started writing it before the pandemic set in. So I was already in process when we did our podcast episode together. But I don't know that I could have spoken about it in quite the way that I can now that it's done. Um, <laughs> so the, the book, the book really walks us through a number of different obstacles that people face when they are trying to make some sort of career transition or tweak their careers. And I profile 22 different people and tell their stories about how they went about doing that. Um, in addition to that, I am a career and executive coach, and I work with teams as well. And overall, my goal, which has been for a long time, is to help people find a, a happier, more fulfilling place in their work. So I'm delighted to be here with all of you. Thanks, Tammy. And Tammy has done a phenomenal amount of work in the last couple of years. Um, and I think for all of us, the most interesting thing that you're hearing is the trend of we all took advantage of the pandemic. Um, you know, you, you talk to people out in the world and a lot of people will say, oh, you know, it just came to a standstill and their business suffered, et cetera. And it, and it is difficult. It's, it's not an easy way to do it. But I think for all of us, we saw the opportunity to be innovative and proactive uh, with that additional time. So it's so much fun to see the results of what's what's come from that. So, Connie, I'm going to let you introduce yourself now. Oh, great. I'm the last one, huh? <laughs> Save the best for last. Oh. Um, well, hi, everyone. I'm Connie Steele. I'm a future of work and life expert, an executive consultant, author, and a podcast host of the Strategic Momentum Podcast. And I was on with Cher back in February 2nd, 2021. Uh, I think it was episode 15, and it was to actually share my book as well. Uh, during the pandemic, like you, Tammy, <laughs> I had thought about really working on a book idea that I had, and the book is called Building the Business of You. It is a book about the future of work, really from a human-centered perspective, because I had noticed, based on interviewing several people on my own podcast, that there was really this fundamental shift going on in terms of people's nonlinearity with respect to their career pathing and really a shift in what people were looking for out of their work and life. So that said, the pandemic really was a catalyst for me to get going on because I knew all of these uh, projections that I had were going to come to the forefront. And so I had a wonderful opportunity to talk about that book with Cher and share these important perspectives. Uh, and since my last appearance, I have launched an online course. It's a companion course that uh, is really aimed to helping individuals identify and align their interests, strengths, and passions. Because the whole point of the book is not just this future of work foundation, but it's to explain why people are shifting the way that they're shifting. What is this really leading up to? Which is this desire to reflect their whole self and combine this career of the future, which I call career mashup which is that opportunity to combine all these skills, interests, passions, hobbies you have to reflect all of you. 
And fundamentally, what is the approach to doing so? Because through these interviews, in addition to doing a lot of secondary research, I saw that there were very consistent patterns and wanted to be able to create a roadmap roadmap to guide people in doing so. But in addition to that, I've also recently led a research effort to understand and measure what workers want and need in this new world of work, but understanding workers as people, as individuals, not employees of a company. Because this whole effort that I've been moving towards is we need to understand us as people. People make up companies. And I think that foundation to establish a human-centric baseline and determine what it takes to be successful at work and in our career and the impact to life is what's going to be so helpful for people and organizations alike to create that level of traction for themselves. So I am incredibly excited to be part of this amazing group of people um, and hope to continue to contribute value to your listeners. Thanks, Connie. I was so excited when I read Connie's book um, because in the ed tech industry, um, and Tom knows this, we've always been career mashup people. We did it before it was cool, before it was hip, you know, um, because there was not a straight pathway for us. You know, you couldn't say, like, if you were going to be an accountant or you were going to be, uh, you know, a professor or you were going to be a manager, there were not those straight lines because some of the degrees didn't even exist. I mean, when I did my PhD in the early 2000s, was one of two programs with that emphasis in the nation. Two programs. Now there's over 50. Um, but, you know, early 2000s is not that long ago. Um, so we have always had to say, oh, well, this came out in technology. Now we need to learn this. We should probably get a certificate in this, or we should get a degree in this, um, or we need to add this to our classroom. So we need to learn this. And so we've always done this mashup of things. And so that's why we end up with these people in the ed tech space who are just so wide and varied. Um, and so I was excited uh, when, when Connie was talking about that because I think it really fits our ed tech industry quite well. Um, in, in talking with Tammy about her book, where it fit in was the people that decided to come into the ed tech industry because they had been doing these other traditional careers kind of fell into some technology in some areas at work. Maybe they got pushed into, you know, suddenly inheriting a team or doing something. And all of a sudden it was, oh, maybe I could go do something different, but what does that look like and how do I do it? So, you know, it's, it's, um, Interesting to me that in inviting all of you and all of our other guests on, as the pandemic hit, everything really just kind of came to fruition and came together. Um, I think, you know, for all 30 of our guests, the pandemic really was a benefit and, and not a detriment as it was for, you know, some other businesses. But it was because we all are used to figuring these things out differently. Um and so I think, you know, now the question is, where do we go next? You know, we're still sort of in the pandemic. We're not really post-pandemic yet. Uh, we keep having variants. They keep talking about we're going to continue to have waves. Um, and so the question becomes, the people that went back face-to-face, -face, you know, do they have to retreat again? Um, the people that are doing hybrid, is that adding value? Are they seeing a difference in it? 
Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start with uh, Joe. What do you think is is um, you know going to be the next impact from pan- the pandemic? Well, I think one of the things we're going to start to see is a more personalized education experience really tailored to the individual student. And part of that will be through like artificial intelligence and some other things. But, um, you know, I think we're going to have to move away from this traditional semester thought that uh, where students are going to want to be able to sign up for a course any day of the week, any day of the year and any time of the day. Right. But they're also going to expect to be able to have access to technology support if they need it, or the faculty member 24-7, you know. Um, and so, you know, we're in this Amazon world, right, where we can do anything we want at any moment. I think that schools and universities have to find out a way to to at least start moving that direction, right? You know, it's, um, it's not there yet. And I, you know, again, I think the pandemic helped to move schools a lot closer to that uh, thought process even, maybe not to move it you know, to have access, but you're just an understanding that, oh, by the way, a lot of these things we thought were true aren't, you know, <laughs> people actually are productive when they're not under micromanagement and so on and so forth. So, um, so, but that's what I see. Joe, you're working also um, because you're out in, in supply chain and manufacturing and in, in yeah. big areas. Um, where do you see the impact for them now as we're moving forward? Well, it's somewhat the same thing, right? They you know, they don't want to spend money to send somebody to school to get information they may already know, right? So they want to get the best bang for their buck with the dollars that they invest in training. And so they're actually looking for this more customizable approach where maybe they'll pick a bunch of modules out and instead of a traditional degree, maybe they'll have their students get what we would deem a certificate. And then ultimately, I think the other thing we can do is... uh, is academic units is to be able to create more stackable opportunities, right? That that certificate, if you then go on to the next level, you can use those 15 credits to go towards something that maybe is a 30 credit uh, certificate. And ultimately you can stack it up to get an associates and then a bachelor's and, and so forth. But again, it'll be really hyper customized, right? To that particular organization and maybe even to that particular student. Tammy, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I, you know, I think there's tremendous opportunity coming up um, in terms of when I think about both people wanting to expand their knowledge and make better choices about their careers. um, I think that there's so much out there now that people can access. in terms of, you know, not just, not just in terms of, you know, like online learning and all the the things that, you know, I'm a little more pedestrian when it comes to ed tech than some of the other folks here. But so there's that kind of a thing, but I've also, believe it or not, I've had clients who work in ed tech. And so I'm learning also about what are, what are professionals in the field dealing with in terms of how they're going about their careers and even the field of ed tech itself is shifting and changing. And so there's, you know, how do they meet the needs of their clients? And there's a lot of different ways in which they have to go about um, 
the the sales process and the technical side of things and and how they're marketing so there's it's 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 explosive and it's messy in some ways but i think it's also full of opportunity in terms of how people can get the information they need expand their capabilities and move forward and i think i think it's more expansive than anything else both in terms of people within the industry and then also what becomes available to people to be able to adapt and change in in the marketplace because the the world of work is changed forever and we really need to be able to be uh more flexible but we also need to to adapt our skills to that world and so i think edtech plays a key role in that on every level Bob, what are your thoughts? The pandemic was a, a great leveler in many regards. People were suffering. People were uncertain. They were nervous. They were afraid. They were scared. And those negative emotions helped us as an industry in higher education to understand that the barriers that we were trying to address weren't just people with disability barriers in their environments weren't just people with work responsibilities, family responsibilities, military service commitments. It was everybody. And when once, once everybody felt the challenge, the entire conversation seemed to change. We're not actually going back to a quote unquote normal scenario because we never had a normal. <laughs> we hear, we hear people talking about what's the new normal. Yeah. And the recognition of all the barriers that people have, listeners, you can't see it, but I'm holding up my mobile phone. <laughs> we prefer to work with technology that affords us ease, comfort, and access. What we end up with is our mobile phones, which are great and better than nothing. But not everybody has a laptop or a desktop computer at home. Lots of people own mobile devices. And the shift to mobile, it feels like 1997 all over again. Listeners, you can't see I'm pointing to all the gray hair on my head. And uh, back in 1996, I helped a community college adopt Blackboard version one. So it feels like that kind of open, wild, westy sort of uh, ethos again. So we're kind of back to the early days. I, I wrote about this uh, with uh, Shavella Pittman in the Chronicle recently, and we talked about academe has a lot to learn about inclusion for instructors. In terms of the technologies that we're using, a lot of them have been put together trying to be as neutral and as useful to everybody as they can, and yet we're still seeing that racial bias gender bias are encoded in the very ways that the technologies have been put together. So that's something that is now starting to become a front burner conversation rather than something that we think about afterwards. And that's to the good. And I also recently talked about, are you guarding the wrong tower in an article for the National Education Association's thriving in academe newsletter, where we've, we've, tend to grasp at things that allow us to feel like we are in control <laughs> when we are uncertain or scared or frightened or we don't know what's coming next. And that grasping back for control almost always does us ill 
because we lock down our late policies or our attendance policies or we get really hammer-handed about academic integrity. When what people are really after is give us environments, give us technology tools, learning management systems, places and spaces online that allow us to be freer, allow us to inquire and experiment, and allow us to rehumanize those technology spaces. Remember some of us way back in the late 80s and early 90s when technology had the promise of giving everyone a voice? Well, we've just spent 20-something years kind of marginalizing a lot of voices with the technology that we've created. So the moment now, I think the, the lesson from the pandemic is that we now are in conversations about how do we bring the human element back and how do we be more inclusive of the intersectional identities that people bring into those conversations. So that's a, a really hopeful sign for me from the pandemic. And I would agree. Uh, I just had a conversation, uh, actually I did an interview yesterday about should we do away with enterprise licensing? Um, which, you know, from a corporate standpoint, from a higher education standpoint, people would just be like, are you nuts? How could you do that? Um, but at the same time, you know, we have millions of people on clouds, whether that's AWS or that's Google or that's, you know, uh, Microsoft. All of these people are out there sharing files, moving things around, adding an extra layer of security if they don't want you know someone else to get to their file. And guess what? It's all working, and none of them are on an enterprise license. So you know when you set up the established parameters for the cloud, you're good to go. And then the people that come in and out of your cloud are the very people you want to let in and out of your cloud. So why are we spending all of this money on enterprise licensing? you know, with single sign-on and, and locking everything down so that, you know, we keep the bad guys out and we're really not keeping them out. Uh, we're keeping our employees out. <laughs> you know, we why is it that we're still hiring new people and it takes them three to five days before they get access to systems? Uh, it, that's still amazing to me that companies are wasting a week out of a new employee because they can't get them into anything, supposedly. Um, you know, we... we as you said, Tom, we, we've not we've not made that open environment that that we professed we were going to. And I remember those conversations early on when we would sit around tables and talk about this was going to change everything. This is going to change how we educated, change how we work. You know, everybody's going to have access. Everything's going to be totally open. Um, and then we pulled down all the firewalls. <laughs> And we built the little forts and we said, only who we want in gets in. So, um, you know, it's a definite change now. We're, we're taking a step back. We're starting to look at it. But also the push from the public, John Q, you know, user is wanting us to do things differently. And they are navigating towards products um, like what Seth has built because it's doing exactly what I needed to do when I needed to do it. Um, you know, and, and Seth, I want to ask you, um, you know, in creating your app, what's been the feedback that you've gotten from people on it? So I've gotten a lot of feedback that's uh, saying things like, what if I'm not at my computer and my meeting opens, which is a legitimate question, but like it'll text you and things like that. And also it doesn't turn on your camera and microphone, which is nice. But I think the main point of LinkJoin is really when you're just at your computer. 
because I would just always be at my computer for virtual school and say I get to my class five minutes early. I don't want to join the class five minutes early. So I have to stay there sitting at the computer like we've all done for meetings mm-hmm. and just wait. And then during that time, it is so easy to get sidetracked, checking your email or doing something <laughs> productive. And then you're at the computer and you just end up being late to your meeting, yeah. which is really a huge issue and it's inconvenient and it wastes time for everyone. So that's the main problem that it was made to solve. And I think the value in that there is, you know, um, Tom talked about there's a lot of things we like to do on our phones and we do, but there are certain things like when we're doing uh, bigger classroom type situations, when we're having big meetings, when we're wanting to be able to look at things online as well as talk to the people that are in the uh, you know chat room or area that we're working in, we really prefer it on a computer. It's really hard to do those kinds of things on our phones. It's not impossible, but it's really difficult. Um, oftentimes our, our offices are set up with our mics and our cameras and everything. And so it's real easy to just slide in, log in, and you're good to go. And so, you know, that's a perfect example of recognizing where's the audience and what they're wanting to use and what's missing from that. Um, we all get emails with links in it. And then by the time the day comes around, it's buried in our email account. We're struggling to try to find it. Um, you know, if it hasn't been included in the calendar invite, uh, which drives me crazy, um, you know, or it doesn't say what it's for. Uh, I've gotten calendar invites before and I don't know exactly what I've been invited to, but there's a link and I'm thinking, do I click on it? Do I not? You know, do I really just want to pop in and not know who's on the other side? So, you know, it, the evolution of this is how do we do these things better? How do we create products that fit that need? that specific need that still has the ability to grow out. Seth and I have had these conversations about, you know, the what's next evolution. What what does he need to do next or what are the next things out there? Um, And I think that's true for all of us, which is what do we do, you know, with our products, with our services as things continue to change? Um, But it's also recognizing not just what the big trend is. That's the easy answer. It's what's your niche? What's your audience? What's the trend that's needed there to be answered? That's where it makes a difference. Um, Connie, you know, I know you're working a lot with people right now and you're really looking at kind of how people are retooling to refunction, um, really considering their life and their lifestyle. Um, you know, what are some of the trends that you're seeing that, that you think the pandemic impacted with this? Well, the key thing is that people are really looking at work and life as fully integrated. I think that's one of the key themes. One, obviously, um, also ties to something you said, Tom, right? There's, it's open. People want a more open, transparent environment, no matter where they work, no matter where they are, because it in this world we live in, things are interconnected now. So the more you know, the more effective you're going to be. So one of those key things is, Integration is one of those themes. Openness is one of those themes. Another one is flexibility, freedom, which we've seen in a lot of other studies as well. So we think of people in a work situation, but I think just individuals in general, we want to have the freedom and flexibility to work when and where we want because we can. Technology has enabled us to do so. Uh, But we always want to be constantly learning and growing and developing. And in the study, we had 
70% of people saying they want to be constantly growing and developing in their skills, whether it's inside of their organization or outside of their organization. So that growth mindset is quite a default for people now. And if we see those like Seth and, and those who are entering the workforce, by default, they constantly want to learn because they've had technology at their fingertips and there's so much to explore and learn and grow from that that's a mindset. If I align that to uh, analogies of technology, having been in technology for most of my career too, we're now in an agile world. We have an agile way of life. We are constantly learning, iterating, and testing on ourselves to figure out what fits best. So whatever tools and technology we need to think about leveraging or organizations are looking to leverage, it's about figuring out what is the right fit. It's about figuring out what integrates best. There's nothing that is a one-size-fits-all anymore. It gets to that point of personalization uh, that you had mentioned, Joe. (laughs) But we're not going to know what that is initially until we try. And through that process of doing that initial MVP, figuring out what works, what doesn't, and tweaking it all on the way, then we're going to be able to optimize what aligns best for us and for those that we work with. So let me ask everyone this, uh, and we'll go around, uh, but I am curious, what do you see as the next big trend in ed tech, or what do you see that needs to be evolved to support these new initiatives of a different world? So, um, Joe, I'll start with you. I guess I'll go back to the thought of what's artificial intelligence going to do, and you know, as that becomes more and more uh, likely uh, to be adopted because it's easier to buy or purchase and utilize. Um, I th- you know, I think that'll have a huge impact on how we start to present what uh, student learning opportunities are going to be. Seth, what do you see? Yeah, so the, I feel like the pandemic really gave us a lot of freedom with school. And lots of people really benefited from that. Like what Joe had said before, it was a really customized experience. And people realized that virtual education was okay. And a lot of people realized that they thrived in it. That was really where they learned best. And we're seeing new innovations for all these problems that have arisen. And students and teachers are going to be seeing the benefits really soon. And even in non-virtual school, I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of change in particular about like age requirements in ageism. There's a lot of that within ed tech, in school as a whole, because mm-hmm. I obviously don't have the same level of experience as the other people here, but I do have the advantage of being a current uh, student and being on the receiving end of our education system. Like just this year, I was trying to sign up to take AP chemistry. And because I'm not an upperclassman, I wasn't able to get that. And I feel like just ageism is such a huge thing in ed tech and school where it doesn't matter your qualifications or knowledge so much, but age determines what you can do and what people think you should do. So in the future, I'm really hoping and thinking that we will see this ageism sort of decrease and realize that people from all age levels can do all sorts of different things. I think that's a a, a consistent point that we've had in our society. Um, the, The biggest one that always comes to mind that has stood the test of time is you can be 18 and register to go into the military, but you have to be 21 to drink. 
Um, that has been an argument for years and years and years, because on the one hand, we're saying you're an adult and you can go into the military. But on the other hand, we're saying you're not an adult. You're not old enough to go into a bar and buy a drink yet. Um, you know, the same thing is you can get a driver's license at 16, but you're not considered an adult until 18. So you have to have your parents sign for things, etc. cetera. Um, we've always had a two-way street on these things. We've made it convenient when it fits. Uh, AP education is a great example of that, which is we set boundaries based on the fact of our assumptions. We assumed that no one would want to take AP until they got to this level of school. And we assumed that colleges would only take it if you were in this level and above. Um, and then we turned it on and we walked away. And we've never gone back and said, is this still working? Are people still doing this? Um, and so you're absolutely right. These these are the trends and the things that we have to look at because we're holding people back for the wrong reason. Um, you know, if you can't succeed in the course, that's a different situation. But the fact that you're not even eligible to try the course, that's the key component. And that's the key component across ed tech. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I, I want to go in a different direction to what our, our previous guests have talked about. I have the official answer to what's the next big trend. And then I have the devious one. <laughs> the official answer is every CIO you talk to is going to become enamored of uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, making the machines do the things. So we, we've got beautiful medical simulation possibilities, all those kinds of ideas of uh, the metaverse or the metaversity, as some of our education fellows are talking about. That's what people are going to get enamored of. The CIO's eyes are going to get very large and go, ooh, shiny, and that's going to be the next thing. The devious answer is that's going to create a new digital divide. The challenge for us is that those people with privilege, access to technology, access to the systems that we're setting up, they will thrive. And the vast majority of folks who do not yet have access to those systems, they're going to have to wait another 10 or 15 years until that becomes down market and is included on your phone somewhere or on another device that's affordable. We went through this cycle with Internet 1 and Internet 2. And we have some lessons to learn about what Internet 3 is going to look like I would, I would argue that the biggest trend you're going to see is not the trends in AR, VR, AI, but the backlash calling for access and accessibility. So watch out for that, folks. Thank you. And I think you're absolutely right on that, Tom, um, and, and for a number of reasons. So one thing that I ran into recently, again, you know, if, if you're not dealing with it every day, you don't think about it. So had a... Uh, institution that heavily invested in the goggles, you know, going to let our students wander aimlessly and live in this virtual uh, universe and bought them right before the pandemic. Well, technically you can't let them wear the goggles now because then they have to be cleaned each time and they have to be sanitized and someone has to track all of that and someone has to be in charge of that. And um, you know, if someone brings a note that says, I can't wear them and, you know, these kinds of things. But the flip side of that is we also figured out how to do supply chain to lend people laptops. So there are positive right. aspects of that. Exactly. And so this was this was like the end all. 
you know, well, this won't work now. We bought, we invested in this and it won't work. And I'm like, it's not that it won't work. It's that we've got to go about it a different way. Um, so I think the challenge for ed tech is going to be, how do we come up with alternative plans? You know, there will be a day when we go back to using the goggles, although by then they'll probably be obsolete and you have to order new ones. Uh, that's always the difficulty when you, you know, invest in technology. It's like a car. The minute you drive it off the lot, you can lose some mileage on it. Um, but the value is, is that what else can we figure out to, how to do it? How can we do things differently? Um, and a student came up with a shield that you wear. So think of safety glasses almost, but they are paper thin. And so you put the shield on first and then the goggles over and then immediately you're protected and then the shields get thrown away. So again, there's always a solution if we think outside the box and we start to look at, you know, what really is going to be the impact. Um, Tammy, what do you think is going to be the, the next trend in ed tech? Well, I just consulted with my crystal ball. <laughs> and <laughs> no, actually, I, I wanted to, I actually had a, somewhat of a similar answer to what Tom had, although I don't know that it was quite as articulate, but um, I, I do um, think that, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're moving forward and yet we have to not just move forward. We need to move, we need to move uh, sideways too, at the same time. Um, and so the, the, the trend as I see it, the trend as I'd like to see it are two different things. You know, I think that we're, we are moving forward and yet accessibility, equity, um, inclusion of all people having access to things is, is still a concern. And so, um, that's, that's where, you know, we can cheer on all the innovation and all the great things that are happening, but it's really a matter of how do we, you know, make sure that, that people who can really, um, uh, really take advantage of these things that, that it really gets spread in a wider way. And that's, that's probably another set of challenges too. Mm-hmm. So that that's something that I that I do think about. Um and so that that was one main point. I think the other thing though that 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 also uh, in terms of trends is it it the the other trend is how do we also make sure that people stay in connection and not and not just get all wowed about all these you know, bright, shiny things that, that are possible, even though they're amazing, that there is something to be said for basic human connection and that those things are not a replacement for that. Um, because we, I know from my own experience that the differences. So how do, how do we find, um, you know, a way to weave those things together so that we can benefit from all of it? Because there's so many great things happening. That is such a good point. And, you know, one of the things that I always live in fear of is we introduce new technology and we are quick to hand it out. And when there are areas that are uh, less advantaged, we oftentimes have people who donate, you know, let us send them things, let us give them things. Uh, We never send any training. (laughs) 
you know, if you think back to the first time you used an iPad, uh, you know, or any type of Surface tablet, there was a learning curve trying to figure out how it all worked and how, you know, you navigated it and how you moved around on it. Um, and what's the first thing we think of now, which is, oh, well, we have a classroom that, you know, can't get together or they're all at home. Let's send them all an iPad. Um, and then, you know, these are people whose parents don't have an iPad. Uh, they don't have anyone near that can show them or help them. So then we rely on the teachers to also become trainers in addition to everything else that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, for me, the next trend I see is what's the next evolution of roles that come out of this? So who's that in-between person? Um, you know, that's not the teacher training the students, but is someone that is there that is not necessarily tied to a district, tied to an institution, tied to a company. Um, you know, we, we are so enthralled right now with UX positions and that, you know, user experience um, so that you understand how to move through an app or how to utilize, you know, a particular website but we haven't thought about doing UX across the board and really looking at what is it that people need at, at all times. Um, because the other thing is you never really need something until you need it. So I always liken this to when you start a new job and they take you to orientation and they tell you absolutely everything you'll ever need to know in working for this company or institution. And the problem is three-fourths of that stuff I don't need to know that day. Six months from now, nine months from now, two years from now, suddenly I need to know that stuff. And then I can't find it, nor can I find anyone who can tell me the answer. Um, or it's been updated and nobody's bothered to send out, but it's been updated. So, you know, that's that's the gape we continue to have as the technology moves faster, as the technology adapts to us better. You know, where will AI go in terms of it learns right now from us and it it you know adapts based on our individual needs but so does a roommate you know you learn that you like not to have dishes in the sink but to set them on the counter that's an easy learn and if you're smart you figure that out and you move on about your day but the adaption needs to be bigger than just following the adaption needs to be also identifying and where can I help you where can I give you things where can I provide you the tools and where does that go to, not just to another automated voice, but to bringing in the humanistic side? Where do I partner you with someone? Where do I find that resource that's an individual? Um, so for me, I think the trend really is going to be about uh, the people, the service, um, the support, less about the technology, because the technology will always grow and thrive. Um, that's it. That's an easy win. That makes you so happy to hear, which is why I was on this <laughs> mission in the first place to really understand how are we changing as people in light of how technology has impacted us for the past 10, 15, 20 years, because it has impacted each generation differently, has created new challenges, new opportunities. But what our attitudes, needs, motivations, and approaches are are different as a result of that. So well, if we can you. go back. Well, Cher, thank you so much for having us on the episode. And I'll look forward to continuing the conversation down the line. Take care. Wonderful. Bye-bye, Tom. Go ahead, Connie. Oh, I, I was going to say that, you know, no matter what new technology comes, we're still people. <laughs> 
And technology now is just like electricity. Technology isn't what's going to change everything. It's people who are going to implement it that are going to create some of those changes. And if we can understand who we are as individuals and think of integrating you know, technology into our life such that it really helps people. In particular, when I think of, again, this point of integration, how do you think about social emotional learning? <laughs> Tamara, your point of connection, that's a gap that we have. As a result of pandemic, we know that's an issue. Technology hasn't solved it. No. Yes, we're more connected, but we're connected not in a way that brings us closer together to understand us, understand one another, or have a sense of belonging, which is what we all want. We don't have necessarily that tight sense of belonging, even though there's social media that has made us more connected. We actually have the opposite effect that's going on in terms of mental health and so forth. So we have to get back to what do we need as human beings to be successful? And where does tech fit into that? I think that's where you have to lead. Absolutely. Any last thoughts before we wrap up today? Joe? Uh, Just the last thing I was going to add in is that um, I see technology as additive to to the personal experience. It it can be used to get rid of some of the, the more mundane parts of doing education so that we as faculty, for example, can spend more time doing the social interaction with our students, right? Mm-hmm. That we don't spend a lot of time grading papers or whatever whatever the case may be, but that we're actually spending more time talking to them about what they could do to be better at what they had written or what they presented or uh, those sorts of things. So um, I, I started reflecting on what I had said, and I said, boy, I'm, I'm sounding like the anti-humanist here, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, any last thoughts? Uh, I'm just really excited with where ed tech and education in general is headed. I think we're going in a great direction that uh, is leading to more innovation and more creativity on both students' ends and ed tech innovators. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with where everything's headed. Tammy, how about you? I say vote for Seth. (laughs) Agreed. Seth is our next generation of, of iterations. Um, so I want to thank all of you for, for being on here today. I so appreciate it. I want to thank all of our guests for being here today. And thank you to our listeners for being with us. I appreciate your continued support and look forward to bringing you additional guests in the coming months. Until next time, live to learn. Thank you for listening to EdTech Speaks with EdTech strategist Cher Downing. To learn more about the services Downing EdTech and its staff can provide you, find us at www.downingedtech.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to share it. We'd also like to hear from you regarding any suggestions for topics or guests and the value you received from our show. Check back for new podcasts with featured guests at www.downingedtech.com backslash podcast. Thank you.